Do you have any creation questions? Let me answer a few of those on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Welcome everyone to Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and it is my privilege and pleasure to come to you every week with new information about our culture, questions, concerns, things that we are facing, uh, because it truly is, if we're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. That's our role that we play here on this earth because we are the ones who create and set the culture. As Christian families, we set the culture. We aren't subject to the culture. We set the culture. And this week, I want to talk about uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, and that is the evolution versus creation discussion. I have done uh, two previous episodes, one called The Evolution of Really Bad Science uh, and one called The Evolution of Systemic Racism. And I want to just continue this series and bring this uh, foremost into your mind on a regular basis because this is one of the biggest, most sinister cultural problems that we have facing us and especially our children today. In our my first podcast, I talked about the fact that many Christians today believe that there's actually a burden, a scientific proof, a scientific fact of evolution, and that there's this burden that we need to somehow manipulate or change or adapt the Bible to this scientific truth. Well, I explained that evolution uh, really isn't science. It's actually really bad science. Uh, it's really not science at all because we can't go back in time and actually observe or reproduce um, like a scientist should. And in fact, if you listen to the previous podcast, really the word religion is the best word to describe evolution. And there are so many holes connected to evolution uh, that uh, even evolutionary scientists have to recognize the fact that there is not great evidence for evolution. And that's why still today, after decades of what would be considered scientific study of evolution, we are still having this discussion. And the reason we are is that there are so many holes connected to evolution that it takes way more faith to believe in evolution than it ever would to believe in the Bible or to believe in God's creation. In fact, it's funny because if you actually look at or turn to like the Discovery Channel or these things on TV, there is an incredible amount of alien type discussions. Now, why are we looking for aliens when we just evolved from a primordial soup here on Earth? Well, we're looking for aliens because scientists realize that their scientific theory study of evolution just doesn't pan out. It doesn't work. And so they are looking even for further alternative theories, anything other than a loving, creative God. So it must be aliens. Aliens must have come here at some point and seeded the earth uh, and that we are all really offspring of some alien foreign world or culture. 
Because that's the only way that we really can describe or explain why we're here. So pay attention to that. There's a lot of discussion about aliens and UFOs and because we are we as a secular society are desperate for an explanation and they know full well that evolution doesn't give a proper answer. There's a lot of discussion on TV too about the supernatural and and ghosts and and paranormal activity. Why is that? It's because we are spiritual beings connected to a spiritual god. And we are wired to know that there is something beyond this world. Something that we are to connect to. And my friends, maybe we should be encouraged in a weird sort of way. The world is hungry for it. And so if you are here and listening as a Christian, be encouraged by the fact that the world is looking and searching because there's a stirring and a wooing in their hearts of a loving father that created them and loves them and has a plan and purpose for their life. And that's a message that every one of our children need to hear because they are not hearing it at public school. It's interesting. I just want to start this discussion by talking about what I discussed last week, which is the COVID-19 virus. I just want to be uh, abundantly clear and try as best I can scientifically to explain this to you because there's going to be a lot of headlines that you might see that says things like, well, the COVID-19 is evolving. Uh, Evolution is happening right now. Evolution is happening right in front of your eyes in regards to this COVID-19 virus. Now, we talked about different variants and the things that are happening, but I assure you, my listeners, that that is not evolution. Now, viruses are always changing, and they occasionally make a leap. And they talk about an evolutionary leap, but it's not the right word. When a COVID-19 virus infects someone, it hijacks the biological machinery of the cell to create copies of itself. Every so often, the genetic material the virus carries is copied incorrectly, producing what is called a mutation. Most of the viruses within mutations die out, but some go on to infect other cells in the body and eventually other people. Occasionally, one of these genetic errors can lead to a change that is advantageous to the virus, such as enabling it to get into the cells more easily, producing more copies of itself, or allowing it to evade the immune response of people that it infects. So last week, I talked about this Delta variant. The Delta variant is highly contagious and had a mutation that probably enables it to get into cells more easily. But let's be very clear that when a mutation happens in a virus, it is a loss of information, not a gain of information. And, and, And variations, these are called variants, variations within a species or a kind is called genetic shuffling, and variations happen all the time and are observed in nature frequently and is is, is exactly what Darwin was observing on the Galapagos Islands. But guess what? When he was observing the birds, they didn't change into something else. They were still birds. There were variations within its own genetic makeup where there was loss of information that actually required or maybe even resulted in an advantageous response in that species. So when you look at different variations within viral species or when you look at just how evolution works or doesn't work, it's impossible. It's actually impossible. I just remember in medical school looking at the clotting cascade. That's just one very small, minuscule part of our body that's so critical. 
And you can't tell me that the 16, 17, 18 different processes that has to take place in order for us to blood clot so that we don't bleed to death when we get a scratch or a hangnail, that those things that take place happen by chance. And in fact, our mind should not even be able to comprehend that happening by chance because there, as we learn in medical school, all along the pathway, different problems and different hemophilias that can take place because of a loss of information that takes place in the cascade. One little thing. And these little things are incompatible with life. Incompatible with life. And so all of those things would have happened to, had to happen at the same time and evolved in the same proportion in the right amount to form a perfect blood clot to allow us to actually live. And that's just one small minuscule part of our body. When you look at the human body and the millions of processes that take place every second, we realize that it can only come from a creator God. And secular scientists know it too. I want to just talk about just some common questions that either somebody secular would ask us or we ask each other or maybe are too afraid to ask when we just read the Bible about creation. I want to also be very clear as before I get into these simple questions uh, that we don't have the burden of proof when it comes to public school. They're actually teaching an alternative religion and they actually have the burden of proof to, to give to us why they should be teaching a different religion of evolution. But I do want to, according to 1 Peter 3.15, again, this is 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love that line, for the hope that you have. My friends, in the creation story is injected hope for this world. And we need to understand it, embrace it, and not be ashamed of it or hide from it. So let me talk first just about six ordinary days. When we talk about creation, uh, there's a lot of different information that's thrown at us about are the days of creation really days or are they geological ages? Now, to be clear, the only reason that Christians would actually entertain the idea of geological ages is because they feel that there is some scientific burden that they need to manipulate or transform scripture to try to meet. Now, remember in my first podcast, The Evolution of Really Bad Science, I make it very clear that there is no burden. So this is almost doesn't need to be talked about. But the gospel message is actually undermined at its foundation if we actually look at the geological ages as millions of years or long periods of time because it puts death, disease, and suffering before the fall. So this is critical to even those of you who believe in the gap theory or long ages or, or, that, or that God says, you know, a day is like a thousand years. Actually, when it, when it says a day is like a thousand years, there's actually no creation context for which that is written. It's just saying that God himself is outside of time. But actually, when we talk about created earth, he is very much in time and, and doesn't write things to kind of confuse us. When we talk about 24-hour periods, the word is the word yom, Y-O-M. And that is the word that they use. There is actually different words that they could have used for ages or epochs or different periods of time. But they actually word, use the word yom, which is actually six, 24 hours periods of time. Now you may say, now wait a minute, the sun actually wasn't created until later in the creation week. 
Um, but the sun is actually not needed for a 24-hour period with a revolving earth. All that is needed is light. And the Bible says that there was light and it was separated from the darkness. And so was day and night, the first day. And God saw it as very good. It's the same word that they used for the, for the three days of Jonah being in the stomach of a whale. It's the word yom. It's the same word that is referred to Jesus in the tomb. Three days. Were those literally three days or were those epic time periods? No, they were really, really three days. And Jesus actually refers to Genesis as literal, talking about the first Adam and the second Adam and referring to scriptural uh, aspects of Genesis. And so Jesus refers to Genesis in a literal sense. I believe it would behoove us to do the same. Six ordinary days. Some may say now Adam could not have named all the animals in one 24-hour period. But the answer is he didn't need to name all the animals. He only needed to name the animals that were brought to him. And we have to remember that there are variations, what I just talked about in, in the respect to viruses, variations within a species. So when you think about the dog kind, there probably was just maybe one or maybe two kinds of dogs in that kind. And they were probably wolf-like. And then over the course of the next hundreds to thousands of years, we see the variations that we see. But guess what? They're still dogs. <laughs> that doesn't change. And so there was probably less, much less, number of various kinds of animals that was actually there at creation. God brings them to Adam, and he is easily able to name them. One question that we get too, very frequently is, who was Cain's wife? <laughs> if they were the first family, uh, the first created family, and we hear about Cain and Abel, but we also hear about their wives. So where did they come from? Couldn't there have been a, a, a realm of humanity that took place before them or found them? Well, the answer deals with genetics. Now, we have to understand that Adam and Eve were absolutely genetically perfect. They were created in the image of God. In fact, they were the, probably the most like Superman and Superwoman ever created. They had no disease. They had no sickness. They were genetically pure and perfect in every way. And this notion about cavemen being some kind of grunting, dundering, knuckles dragging on the ground type creation uh, is completely wrong from a biblical standpoint. In fact, the early created man was probably the most genetically perfect, pure, and intelligent beings that have actually ever walked the face of the earth. And so Adam and Eve lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and probably had hundreds of children. And so the answer to the question, who was Cain's wife? It was his sister. Now we might all go, ooh, but you have to understand that the taboo of inter-family marriage is based on genetic problems that we see today. And in fact, you know, there are still some states that allow first cousins to marry each other. Anything more primary in relationship than that is forbidden because of genetic problems. Well, back in the garden, that was not an issue. And Cain and Abel had hundreds of siblings and their wives were their sisters. That's what started the human race. And of course, continues and multiplies all the way through so that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve and ultimately, ultimately Noah 
So let's talk about Noah. Noah and his flood. Many people say, well, where did all the water come from? Well, the Bible talks about that there was waters in the deep and there was a firmament. We don't exactly know exactly what the firmament was like, but I believe that the firmament was some type of greenhouse type effect, uh, uh, a moisture barrier over the face of the earth that actually protected us probably from the damaging effects of the sun because it's the free radicals and the, the damage of the sun that actually ages us. And it was interesting because before the flood, everyone was living hundreds and hundreds of years. After the flood, uh, people lived 100 years or less, which is what we see today because of the effects of the environment, the the climate change, (laughs) to use the term loosely. (laughs) So the water came from the deep and the water came from the firmament as the firmament opened and was easily able to fully cover the earth. It's very interesting when you go and study ancient cultures of this world, cultures that didn't have the internet, newspapers, quick uh, exchange of information. When we go back to cultural areas, um, almost every culture has a flood story. It's fascinating, isn't it? And it makes perfect sense because it really happened and it was really a worldwide flood. And the flood explains, I wish I had more time for this, but explains so much of the geological findings that we see today. When you look at the Colorado River carving the Grand Canyon, you say, well, that had to have taken millions of years. Well, they've proven that to be wrong, even just with Mount St. Helens and the amount of volcanic ash that was laid down in such a short period of time. The water was able to carve that quickly and large canyons were formed in a week. And so when we have a catastrophic response that takes place as the result of a worldwide flood, we are going to see see, um, exactly what we would see in the geological story that we see today. And it's interesting when we find these layers of fossils, you know, fossils don't form. Typically, if an animal is in the ocean and it dies and falls to the ocean floor, it just simply deteriorates, disintegrates, gets eaten by other animals. It doesn't turn into a fossil. The only way something becomes fossilized is if it is rapidly covered with rapid moving mud. Well, how would that happen? It happens because of the flood. Our family has gone to so many museums and we do like that. And of course, we try to filter through the evolutionary speak that takes place in these museums. But almost every single one, we see a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton that says, this most likely was killed by rapid moving water. <laughs> well, why do they say that? Because that's the only way it becomes fossilized. Well, where did the rapid moving water come from? Came from, come from? It came from the flood. It makes perfect sense. When you look on through the lens of the Bible, science backs up uh, creation beautifully. And the story of the Bible, it can be taken literally. So... The ark that he built, was that really big enough for all of the animals, including dinosaurs? Well, the average size of a dinosaur was about the size of a large chicken. Most dinosaurs were actually quite small. And again, the fossil record that we see is just an extremely small sampling size of what would have taken place. And adolescent-sized, even T-Rexes, would easily fit in the ark that was built. And... And it's interesting because a lot of times even pastors will say, well, where in the Bible does it say that there were dinosaurs the same time that men lived? 
And I say the answer is in Genesis 124. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I believe a T-Rex is an animal that moves along the ground. The Bible is super clear that men walked with dinosaurs. Evolutionists claim that dinosaurs lived 235 million years ago, long before man even involved, evolved. But if that is true, and, and there was an evolution of different species that take place throughout time and gradual change from molecules to man, if that would happen, then there should be millions, millions of examples of what we call transitional forms part fish, part amphibian, part reptile, part bird in the, in the skeleton survey of fossils. But we don't see any of those. There are no transitional forms. But when we, when we extrapolate that over 235 million years, we should have millions of examples of transitional forms in the fossil record. But we don't see that because it never happened. The dinosaurs were created during creation week and most of them were killed off during the flood and survived the flood, but most likely the atmospheric changes that took place either didn't allow them to live or became quickly hunted. Interesting, almost every culture separately from each other have dragon stories. Stories of, and these aren't stories, these are archives of history in their culture. These aren't fairy tales. These are stories of men fighting great beasts with pictures that look surprisingly similar to each other, even though they never could have actually touched or shared stories. These are just a few common questions. It's always fun talking about creation and dinosaurs, isn't it? But these have implications in every aspect of our culture. And the most important is that we can believe the Bible. It's about belief. And we are believers. We can believe in the Bible. And to not believe in the Bible, to not even believe in the first two chapters of Genesis, is to actually undermine the gospel and undermine the conditions in which Jesus came to die for. If there were millions of years of death and dying and decay prior to the first Adam, then Jesus never needed to come and die in the first place. But the Bible makes it clear that it was the sin of the first Adam that brought death and disease and dying into this world, which Jesus overcame. It's about belief in our created purpose and mission. It's belief that we were actually created with a reason to be here. And our kids need that so desperately. It's about belief in our identity, that we were actually created in his image as his children, his beloved children here on this earth. And it's actually about belief in humanity, in our humanity, belief of humanity, and our relationship to it. If we are just organic matter formed with no purpose or reason, then we actually look at our fellow humans as people that are just in the way or standing in the way of our own promotion or our own advancement and evolution. But the Bible says the exact opposite, that we actually honor those around us, that we put them first and that the last shall be first. 
It's a biblical position knowing that we are his created loved ones here on this earth. And the first two chapters in Genesis and going forward in Genesis to the flood and likewise is critical to our understanding. And if we remove that piece out of the Bible, then what other pieces can we remove too? Is it harder to believe that God created the world or that Jesus rose from the dead after three days? That's not scientifically plausible or explainable. But if we don't believe that, then we should just go home and call it a day. In fact, Paul says, if we don't believe in Jesus and Jesus crucified and resurrected, then we've got nothing. So my friends, my Christian friends who are listening, we need to have answers and quick, honest, real answers for those, even in our own realm who are asking them, but also the secular world who is hungry and desperate for the truth, desperate for the supernatural reality of a loving God. And we can be that answer and that resource. And I would love to continue to be that resource for you and will continue to talk about this topic so that we know how to engage the world and the culture. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture. (laughs) 